So here's a question for you. Does the text genre mean that it gets a pass on problematic issues? That's the question we're going to be addressing today as we talk about 2004's comedy classic, Dodgeball. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is How Story Works. and welcome to our final episode in the Advanced Criticism series, Dodgeball. If you are a canny listener of How Story Works, and of course you are, you may remember my bringing up some issues during the structure discussion of Dodgeball. As a refresher, here's a clip from that episode. When I say casual misogyny, that phrase is in no way meant to excuse it. Casual misogyny is worse than direct intentional misogyny because it hides behind jokes and sends subliminal messages about the value of women. I'm only kidding, it says, as it demeans every single woman in the movie. I find it especially offensive in this context because Dodgeball is a movie about loving the misfit as long as he's a man. Vince Vaughn can have dad bod and still be a romantic hero, but if the women have any flaws, they are the butts of jokes. So what this movie is saying is that it's okay to be a misfit if you're a man. If you're a woman, you must be skinny, beautiful, smart, capable, good at sports, and willing to do a threesome with Vince Vaughn in order to be considered not a full human, but just desirable. That's the best you can hope for if you are perfect in every other way. Women are objects in this movie. They are possessions, they are trophies, they are decoration. For a movie whose entire message is about acceptance and embracing your weirdness, if you're a man, the mean-spirited and sometimes outright hateful treatment of women in this movie is incredibly disturbing. And lest you think that I have been so offended by the misogyny in Dodgeball that I have failed to see the racism, do not fret, my pretty. We have three characters of color in this movie, the female of which, Gordon's wife, isn't even named, and they are all sidelined throughout the story. Dwight is the only major character without any story at all. Michelle is a caricature antagonist sidekick, and Mrs. Gordon is a hateful and one-note mail-order bride. It is disappointing to say the least. Okay, that was my general critical assessment of Dodgeball from the structure discussion, but now I'm going to start by backing up my claims with textual evidence. Let's start with the misogyny. We have Kate, the only major female character. She's thin and beautiful and successful and smart. In other words, practically perfect in every way. We allow her to be imperfect in two ways. One, she has an extensive unicorn collection, which is presented as a joke. And two, she's constantly referred to as a lesbian. Now, when I say imperfect, please understand I say it with extreme quotation marks. Being LGBTQ plus is value neutral. It's just what a person is. But the joke here is that everyone thinks she's a lesbian with no textual evidence. And often the words they use to express this thought are highly offensive. Kate's sexual orientation is funny because she's good at sports and because Vince Vaughn's character Peter obviously likes her. And wouldn't it be funny if she wasn't into him? Of course, the only reason she wouldn't be into him, despite the fact that he is clearly no match for her ambition or competence, is because she's not attracted to men. Again, I say funny with extreme quotation marks. 
In the end, it's discovered that Kate does indeed have a girlfriend. But instead of this being a barrier to her relationship with Peter, it ends up being a bonus. She's bisexual. So Peter, the lazy, unmotivated, underachieving schlub, gets not only the love of the successful, perfect lawyer, but also gets a second beautiful girlfriend as a gift with purchase. And she apparently does not mind at all being instantly handed over as property to the stranger her girlfriend has been flirting with while she was away on a business trip. And while we're on the topic of homophobia, let's not forget the only other hint of non-straightness in this movie is during the car wash when a man grossly fondles his exposed belly button while making a scantily clad Justin scrub his tires over and over again. All right, back to misogyny. We have the flashback with Justin trying out for cheerleading, trying to impress the beautiful Amber. He gets paired with an enthusiastic fat girl, and we proceed with a humiliation scene in which she is humiliated. But we're supposed to feel sorry for Justin because he had to endure the fat girl. Then we have Gordon's angry mail order wife, who is presented as an unsympathetic hag who's ruining his life, despite the fact that he literally ordered her over the Internet like a set of luggage tags from Amazon. Then there's Fran, the unattractive dodgeball ringer from the fictional country of Romanovia, who is only seen as attractive through the eyes of Owen, who falls instantly in love with her, and it's funny, because she's not beautiful. We also have Amber, the beautiful cheerleader that Justin's in love with, who is first the property of her snotty boyfriend Derek until he gets injured on the roller coaster, and then she's free to confess her love for Justin. There are more incidents of objectifying women in this movie, but I think I've adequately made my point. Now, on to the racism. As I acknowledged in my original structure discussion, dodgeball exhibits a profound dismissal of the non-white as well as the non-male. We have three people of color in this movie, two of which are villains, Michelle, White Goodman's trusty sidekick, and Gordon's unnamed Asian mail-order wife. On the hero's side, we get Dwight, who is hardly more characterized than either of the others, aside from being the only really smart character other than Kate. But aside from that, Dwight is little more than an afterthought. This movie is clearly a white man's movie, and that doesn't get noticed because up until recently, pretty much all the movies were made for and by white men. So now here we are with pretty solid textual evidence that Dodgeball is a straight white man's movie that pretty much ignores or mocks women, people of color, and LGBTQ plus people. It displays a profound lack of respect for anyone who is not a straight white male. So let's move on to the question I posed at the top of this episode. Does Dodgeball's comedy genre give it a pass on its lack of social consciousness and responsibility? Dodgeball is, of course, a comedy. The grand purpose of comedy, other than the obvious one of making us laugh, is to challenge us. And Dodgeball's challenge of choice is to reflect us back to ourselves for the truly awful people we are. Seinfeld was one of the first major media properties, after all the family's Archie Bunker, to give us truly terrible people as major characters. And it was funny because it was kind of true. People can be awful. We can be awful. The Simpsons, Shameless, Curb Your Enthusiasm, David Sedaris' entire body of work, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, these are just a few examples of this kind of thing in comedy. Terrible people are funny. Comedies are supposed to challenge us, to make us look at the ugly sides of ourselves, and help us make fun of ourselves. And let's face it, in those examples, it's clear these people are awful, and they never win in the end. So once again, does that mean that Dodgeball should get a pass, that it should escape the ravages of our gimlet eye and be let go with only a warning? I don't think so, and here's why. 
I've spoken before how it's okay to have people be terrible in fiction as long as it's acknowledged in the text and they are not rewarded for that behavior. In Dodgeball, not only is this terrible straight white male worldview not challenged, it's celebrated. It's not funny because it's true that these guys are terrible. It's treated as funny because it's true that women are objects, that LGBTQ plus are to be mocked, and that people of color are sidekicks. We know this to be the case because in the end, everyone is rewarded with a woman of their very own, except for two people. Steve the Pirate, who is the least offensive of the bunch, and Dwight, who is the singular black character on the hero side, and as such, a sidekick, no girl for you, Dwight. And the overall messaging remains. If you're a straight white guy, you're just fine with your dad bod and your thick glasses and your gross behavior and your sex doll. I mean your girlfriend. So my argument would be no, dodgeball does not get a pass. Now what's that I hear? Someone's saying something. Oh yes, you're saying, Lonnie, if this movie is so terrible, why do you love it so much? Good question, you. And here's my answer to that. I love it because when it's not engaging in misogynistic white nonsense, it is funny. I love seeing Justin get hit with a wrench over and over again. Peter's quip about Patches being killed by two tons of irony is great. I will stand in line in the cold and rain to see Pepper and Cotton call dodgeball for ESPN 8, The Ocho. Stephen Root's Gordon, vile mail-order wife aside, is sweet and so lovable. Alan Tudyk's Steve the Pirate is a delight of vulnerability, and I always love a good underdog story. Look, when a dog poops on the floor, you clean it up and go about dealing with the problem. You don't hate the dog. Which brings me back to the battle cry of Chipperish. Love what you love. Everything has problems. Everything has faults. Being able to recognize those faults and say, this movie is sending a message that is not true, helps to suck the poison out of the imperfect texts we love. Loving something is not about being willfully blind to its faults. It's about saying these elements have problems, which frees you up to love the good parts with reckless abandon. This is the great value of criticism. Criticism in its purest form is not about hating on something. Using a text is a stepping stone to elevate yourself and your cleverness. That's something different, and it's behavior which I admit I engaged in when I was younger, and I regret it powerfully. But I've learned a lot since then. Real criticism is about saying, I love this thing enough to acknowledge its problems and love it anyway. Okay, that's it for today. This episode of How Story Works was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer Emily P. Emily supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to have as many unicorns as she wants in her damn apartment. No shame. Thank you, Emily, and thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and makes all of this possible. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you too can become a How Story Works producer. If you have questions about how story works, call 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447 and leave a message. Or you can email me at Lonnie at Chipperish.com or contact me on Twitter at Lonnie Diane Rich or at Chipperish with the hashtag HowStoryWorks. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>